Hey everyone, it's Susan Pierce Thompson and welcome to the weekly vlog. So it's 2018 and it's March of 2018. And one of the things that I'm doing um, this year is reading books. <laughs> How's that? I'm reading books. So um, if you've been following along with the Brightline Eating Saga, um, Brightline Eating started just under four years ago. And um, for the first three and a half of those years, um, I was running around like a crazy person, like with my hair on fire, chicken with my head cut off, all of the above, because the growth of Brightline Eating was so rapid and unexpected that I was struggling to keep up with it and I have three young kids and for the first year of that I was still um, working as a professor teaching four or five college classes every semester, assistant chair of the psychology department at my college, doing all of that work as well. I don't know how I did that but anyway um, I vlogged sometime in 2017 I believe, maybe early 2018 I'm not sure, about slowing down. That might have even been the title of the vlog, slowing down. Um, and I meant it and I am slowing down. And one of the things that's allowing that, I gotta, 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 gotta give a shout out to the Brightline Eating team. I think we're about 27 full-time employees strong here. And the Brightline Eating team has just taken the load right off my shoulders. Like, basically the only thing I do for Brightline Eating anymore, I used to do everything for Brightline Eating, everything. And the only thing that I do anymore is the stuff that only I can do. So, um, I do the podcast interviews, I shoot the vlogs, um, I'm present on the leadership team meetings, I don't even run them anymore, um, to weigh in on stuff, strategic direction stuff. I answer emails that only I can answer. And I think up new ideas and decide where the company is going. And I, I make strategic partnerships and I'm doing more research now, which is awesome. So um, my work life has been able to shrink down and as a consequence, I actually am able to read books. I'm on my 10th book so far in 2018 and it's awesome. And I wanna tell you something I learned in it. So um, not all of the books that I'm reading are like, um, you know, this. I mean, some of them are airport novels. Some of them are, you know, I read The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, which was awesome. I read The State of Affairs by Esther Perel, which was awesome. This brain, how, uh, this brain, this book, however, I wanna tell you about. You see this? The Hungry Brain, Outsmarting the Instincts That Make Us Overeat by Stephen Guionet. So Stephen Guionet is an obesity researcher um, and he's brilliant. Okay, he's brilliant. And his blog is wholehealthsource.org. So this book I highly recommend. Um, chapter six of this book is all about leptin and, this, and, the, and the adiposity set point. So, <laughs> sorry, that was not smooth. Um, so it turns out that when we eat too much of the wrong foods, tasty, highly uh, palatable, we're talking about sugar, flour, fat in all their combinations, the kind of, you know, uh, standard American cafeteria diet that we all love and ate too much of, and that's why we're here because we don't eat that stuff anymore, right? What happens is not only do we gain weight, 
but our brain's set point for what we should weigh goes up. Okay. Now this is not unheard of. This is all governed by the hypothalamus and um, the hypothalamus is this little sort of, it's probably like the size of a kidney bean. And it's like, I don't know, it's kind of right in the middle of the brain. Like if you were to take, if my brain's a cue ball, my head's a cue ball, like right in the middle, right there is the hypothalamus. And um, so it's a deep, deep, deep primal center. And the hypothalamus um, is in charge of mostly through affecting the pituitary gland and the endocrine system, the hormones, right? It's in charge of all the things that have to be kept in balance, okay? Sex hormones, temperature, thirst, food and hunger. So let's talk about temperature for a second. The body regulates its temperature within a very tight band, right? Within a very tight band. So 98.6, we all learned that at some point. You know, now it turns out that temperature is higher during the day and it goes down at night, okay? So it's actually within a couple degree band, um, lower at night, higher during the day. Um, and you can actually measure your temperature um, as, a, as a sense of how healthy your circadian rhythm is, your 24-hour biological clock. There should be, with a healthy circadian rhythm, a big difference between your daytime temperature and your nighttime temperature. That would be one way to measure the health of your circadian rhythm. I digress. Anyway, 98.6, right? What if you have the flu? What if you have a temperature of 104? What's happened? Did the hypothalamus lose control? No, actually. What happened was the hypothalamus raised your temperature set point temporarily because it's easier for the body to fight infection at high temperatures than low. So deliberately, on purpose, the hypothalamus ratcheted up your temperature set point from 98.6 all the way up to 104 and kept it there until it was told that the invaders had left and the flu was over and you were now healthy. And then your temperature came down. It deliberately raised your temperature set point. Well, it turns out a similar thing happens when it comes to eating and food. And researchers have some clues as to what does this, but only some clues. And we have some clues about how to reverse the damage. All this is covered in chapter six, the satiety factor in that book I just showed you. So if you're curious, get that book. It's boring, it's long, I'm slogging through it, but it's fascinating. It's one of these books that's like boring and fascinating all at the same time. I'm loving it. I'm gonna have to reread it several times. It's good. If you liked Bright Line Eating, the book, the first three or four chapters that were all about science, it's like that, but just at a, it's just at a higher level. Like it's way more in depth, way more details, um, yeah, it's harder to read, but it's good. Okay, so back to the point. When you eat a cafeteria-style diet, your brain, your hypothalamus, decides that you need to weigh more than you weigh now. So it's not just that your weight goes up, it's that your adiposity set point, your adipose, right, at fat, your adiposity set point goes up. And what happens then is that the brain defends that higher set point as if, as if that was the healthiest weight for you, as if that's exactly where you wanna be now. So this is how our weights, if, if we have a weight history, anything like mine, our weights have gone like the stock market, 
up and down and up and down and up and down, but overall up, right? Isn't that tra the trajectory? Up and down and up and down, but overall up. So down because you've tried to lose weight, up because, you know, it's all fell fallen away again and you're back to eating whatever you want, whenever you want, and then you've gained weight. But overall, the trajectory is up. What's happened is over time, your brain has decided that your new um, normal is that much heavier than it used to be, that much heavier, that much heavier, that much heavier, and on it goes. So what I wanna share with you specifically is um, some research that shows one of the things that affects that adiposity set point because it stunned me. I had no idea. I learned something, I've, I've learned a lot of things that I didn't know from reading this book, and here's one of them. It turns out that the palatability versus the blandness of your food affects that adiposity set point. If you understand what I just said, your stomach sank into your feet because it's bad news. It's really bad news. The palatability versus blandness of your food affects the adiposity set point. What that means, folks, is that if your food is sexy and tasty and exciting, your body will defend a higher weight. If your food is bland, tasteless, and uninteresting, your body will defend a lower weight. Your body will allow your adiposity set point to come back down. So I, my little head is spinning here because there's so many ramifications of this and it's so interesting because, you know, in my old 12-step food program, the people who'd maintained perfect abstinence, and by that I mean perfectly squeaky clean bright lines with never a deviation ever, for decades upon decades upon decades, those people, and they were a tiny percentage of the whole fellowship, those people always said, keep your food simple, simple, simple. Keep your food simple. Keep your food simple. They would say it till we would all be rolling our eyes going, really? If you're gonna eat vegetables, steam your green beans. Nothing, steam your green beans. Don't cook them in oil. Don't put a lot of salt on them. Steam your green beans. Don't put salsa on them. So I'm reading this book now and I'm like, holy smokes, I know why the people who were saying that were like the most successful people in that program. Because here's the deal. In 1965, I never heard of this study before until I read this book. In 1965, 1965, long time ago, before really the field of neuroscience even existed, researchers created an artificial feeding environment to try to tease out the variables that relate to weight gain and weight loss. And the environment was this. They put participants in a locked metabolic ward. I'm talking about a hospital floor that they can't get off. They can't get any food other than the food that the researchers are providing for them. It's called a metabolic ward study. And it basically means people are locked in a hospital ward and the only food they can get is what the researchers provide. And the food they provided was a tube that went into a box and people could press a button to administer a, milk a milkshake concoction through a straw and the milkshake was bland, bland, bland. 
The researchers said it contained all the nutrients that they needed, but it's 1965. What do they know about that, right? Which meant it probably contained carbohydrate, fat, and protein, some vitamins, some minerals, right? But nothing sweet or tasty. This was not a fancy milkshake. This was not insure. This was like bland, okay? So it's got some glucose in it, but nothing that tastes good. It probably tasted like cardboard, okay? It's got some protein in it, but not, we're not talking bacon here. <laughs> no bacon flavor. And it's got some fat, but we're not talking butter flavor. We're just talking about bland. And it's a milkshake, which means that it's processed. It's not whole real food. It's a bland cardboard tasting liquid processed concoction. This is where my little brain is exploding because I thought the key was you had to eat whole real food. Turns out you don't, you just have to eat bland food. Okay, so here's what they did. First, they made it available. People can press it, administer it for themselves. This is a self-administer thing. They press the button and the liquid squirts into their mouth, okay? And they took a couple of lean, normal weight, slender individuals, kept them on the ward for days upon days, and told them they could access that food whenever they were hungry, whenever they wanted it. And the lean people did. They went and squirted the stuff in their mouth and maintained their body weight precisely. Without any help or instruction from the researchers, somehow their hypothalamus kept them within that set point band, 98.6, right? Kept them exactly administering themselves the amount of calories that they needed to maintain their weight to the ounce, okay? Their adiposity set point kept them exactly lean, okay? Next, they took a couple of morbidly obese individuals who weighed about 400 pounds and kept them on the ward. The obese people hardly ate anything. Now, we know from more recent research, a 19, uh, sorry, a 2011 study published in Nature Neuroscience that rats, once they um, have developed the dopamine down regulation of food addiction. If you try to give them non-palatable food, like you try to give them regular rat pellets, they'll starve themselves. They, we call it the, cafeteria, the, the salad bar option and the rats want nothing to do with it. So once your brain is wired for food addiction, um, non-palatable food, like non-tasty food, is not interesting to you. So the obese people spontaneously reduce their caloric consumption to like 150 to 250 calories a day, like almost nothing. And they lost weight rapidly, okay? But here's the thing, they weren't hungry. Their brain wasn't wanting them to regain the weight. They went home with like milkshake, like shakes of the bland stuff and kept drinking it. And they lost like 200 pounds drinking this stuff with no hunger response, no weight regain, just drank it, and their brain's adiposity set point went down, okay? Five years later in 1970, another study gets published where a researcher has um, some overweight people lose weight on the bland, processed, tasteless milkshake concoction. So they lose over a period of days, exact number of days, they lose seven pounds doing that. And then he has other overweight people restrict their caloric intake so they lose exactly that same amount of weight in the same number of days, but by eating their normal tasty diet, lasagna, you know, whatever, pie for dessert, but, but they're eating few enough calories that they lose seven pounds in the same number of days. 
and the researcher measures how hungry they are and how obsessed with food they are. And the people eating the tasty food are hungry and obsessed with food. So based on this research and some other research, Stephen Guionet concludes that the tastiness of our food in and of itself, independent of nutrient content, independent of fiber content, independent of, regardless of whether it's whole real food, just the tastiness of our food, the palatability of our food, allows our adiposity set point to come back down if it's been jacked up high. Now, remember the vlog that I shot a few weeks ago? I don't know how many weeks ago, some number of weeks, not that long ago, a couple months ago, about why we don't have a cookbook or a recipe book in Brightline Eating. Why do we don't promote recipes? Why we're, and, and the reason is simple food. Simple food is important. I think in that vlog, I emphasized that we don't want you obsessed with food. We want you out living your life instead. I didn't know about this research at the time. It turns out that keeping your food simple now, whole real food is by definition, maybe simple enough. I don't honestly know, and the research hasn't been done, whether if you put mustard or, green, or salsa on your green beans, if that's gonna be hurting you. I don't know, I don't know the answer to that. There is no research that speaks to that question, okay? But there is enough research to say that just through taste buds alone, irrespective of food quality, because those milkshakes were not high quality food, right? We're not talking about whole real food. Irrespective of food quality, keeping your food less palatable will help you not have cravings, not be obsessed with food, and not kick in the hunger response that will make you regain weight that you've already lost. This is breaking news from 1965, because I just learned about it by reading this book. And I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry that bland food is better. Here's the good news. In my experience, the blandness that's necessary is still delicious. Once your taste buds have changed and you're not eating sugar anymore, you're not eating flour anymore, you're not eating fried foods anymore, your taste buds change to the point where the foods that we eat in Brightline Eating, even if you keep them pretty simple, are delicious enough that you can enjoy your meals three times a day, love the food that you eat, and not really want anything else. And the good news is that when your cravings go away, you really don't care. Like the food is great, it's good enough. Do you think people in hunter-gatherer tribes that still exist in Africa are lamenting that they don't have fast food to eat or candy to eat? They're not, why? Because their brains weren't conditioned to crave that stuff in the first place. We can create brains again that don't crave that stuff at all. So it's not, it's not really sad long-term, it's only sad for the period of time that it takes to change your taste buds and your brain so that they prefer the whole real food kept simple that we eat in Brightline Eating. For those of you who are really, really sorry you ever watched this vlog, I apologize. <laughs> but just know that knowledge is power. And if you want to live happy, thin, and free, you just got another piece of the puzzle of how to do that. Sorry. So that's the weekly vlog. I'll see you next week.